Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today are Louis D'Souza and Anne-Marie Young. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And it's great to have the crew back again after their respective holidays to various places around the EU. And uh, I know that both of them had a great time because they're smiling big today. Not that Anne-Marie and Lily <laughs> don't normally smile big, but they're smiling particularly big. That's because when you get away, you know, it's, it's getting away. That's what you do it for, right? So did you have a good time, Absolutely. Anne-Marie? You look like you did. I did. I had a wonderful time. It's such a beautiful place. We went to Crete in Greece and it's stunning and the people are just the most kindest generous couldn't do enough for you so it's just made everything perfect so yeah we had a wonderful time thank you Walt that's fabulous and Louis was away for a couple weeks he was just telling us he was in Great Yarmouth I mean whoa okay now that's some serious travel around the UK how did you find it I mean did you enjoy yourselves well, it's an hour. It's an hour or two above above London, so it's not far. <laughs> it's not that far. Oh, okay. I, well, it's, I forget. You know, the U.S. You have to travel like forever to get anywhere. So I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, <laughs> you, you take an hour to get around London, but then after that, it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I always say it's easier to fly to Mallorca than it is to go to North London from South London or South London to North. It's yeah, it was great. It's, uh, there's this river yard coming into uh, the coast and, you know, it's got this, um, you know, it's a huge, huge, huge mouth, the yard mouth. Um, and, you know, we had seals on the beach, you know, over 150 of them were there and, you know, it's nice. really cool. It's, good to, it's very relaxing right on the beach holiday. Yeah. Beautiful thing. Beautiful. Yeah, both of you have like a, a glow about you. So, yeah, I know you guys have been away. I'm a little jealous. You know, my, my chance <laughs> comes up another about five, six weeks. But nevertheless, I'm a, I'm a little jealous. And uh, I, I, I guess I'm also a little jealous of our, our guest. Well, go ahead, Emery. Sorry. I was just going to say, I think there's just something about being by the sea that just recharges you and mm. just, yeah. just makes your energy feel amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's why we go to the sea or places like that, because yeah. it does exactly mm. that. Yeah. Now, I'm also a little bit jealous of our guest today. Her name is Joyfully Cricket, and she lives in relatively northern California, Sonoma Valley. Um, people in the U.S. will recognize where that is. Wine country, as she pointed out. And there's something about being from California. I, I, I think it kind of just comes from living there, but there's always this mystique, and there's always a, you know, we, we all have little associations with it. So I'm going to be kind of curious, Cricket, to see what, we are picking up from you about the California vibe, but welcome to the program and thank you for joining us. How are you doing today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing awesome and I am born and raised in California, so I can't wait to hear what stereotypes that you come <laughs> up with. <laughs> hey, we could always come up with a stereotype. You asked for it. Why don't we start off with getting a little bit of background about you, because you have an interesting backstory. Why don't you tell people, you know, what uh, what transpired for you as you came of age and, and what you turned it into? Thank you so much. So, yeah, I, currently I'm a spiritual life coach and inspirational singer-songwriter, but my life journey really brought me to that point, as they tend to. So when I was 20, I had the unfortunate experience of becoming a widow my husband suddenly died of an accidental drug overdose. And it was really the day that he died was a spiritual awakening for me. 
I saw two paths before me, one which was full of depression and drug use and just throwing my life away because I had a really good excuse to, or <laughs> choosing joy and, and, and life, essentially. Um, my husband and I were in a pretty toxic relationship, and he was struggling with a lot of mental um, um, chemical imbalances. And I, the day that he died, I just decided I was tired of being sad. And although I was devastated by his passing, I really took it as an opportunity to choose joy. And so, you know, I didn't instantly feel joyful, but it was kind of like a beacon of hope for me in the future that I, I kind of stayed attached to that vision of making my life uh, meaningful and positive as a result of his passing. And so what I did... Um, immediately in the year or two following his death was I started kind of using my songwriting as a way to process my grief. So I wrote these really heavy, sad songs about our relationship and his, his passing, what I would say to him if I saw him again. And it was a really um, precious way for me to, to process what I was experiencing but then, as I said, I had this spiritual awakening, and I really just continued to learn and grow, um, learn about manifestation, my, my place in the universe, what it was that I believed. And as I started practicing the law of attraction more and understanding that more, I started seeing this disconnect between the music that I was writing that was so sad and heavy and my beliefs about our ability to manifest what we think about. So that is how my inspirational music career was born. I started writing songs about my transformation, um, like I said, the law of attraction, passions, life purpose. And that is what eventually led me to becoming a life coach. So I could help people with the tools it takes to transform your life and live your joyful purpose, not just sing about it in, you know, on stage. Understandable. And, and I'm intrigued by your story because I have uh, been interacting a lot lately with uh, a variety of groups on Facebook. A lot of them are relationship related, not all of them. And the common theme that comes up over and over again, particularly among young people, is how they're in a toxic relationship. And most of them are not stories where the people are coming to the conclusion that they have a they have the two paths in front of them, the way that you described, and they're choosing the joyful path. Usually it, there's just a lot of confusion going on and, and in uncertainty and not really knowing what to do and so forth. So I'm intrigued how you ended up making that choice. Can you, can you remember what it was that made you decide, I want to go that way? Because that's not the way most people go. Yeah, I think it was really a perfect storm of just having several years of depression and trauma under my belt. And it was, I, I feel personally, it was a gift from my husband and his passing. Um, you know, I, I believe that there's life after death and his death really helped me. It really renewed my faith. And so I take it as a gift from him that I was able to have the clarity in the moment and it's really informed. I didn't know what I was doing, you know, at the time. I, I couldn't articulate it as well as I do now. But I see it really as informing what I do with my clients as a way to show like, hey, I had a choice and we all have a choice. We can't 
control the circumstances that happen to us in our lives, but we absolutely have a choice in how we react to them. And that's essentially at the, at the very core what I do with my clients, because whether it's a toxic relationship or it's losing weight or, you know, creating a new habit or breaking an old one, it all comes down to the decisions and choices that we make. And why do you think there are so many toxic relationships? I mean, literally, I mean, well, I guess part of it is because I just keep reading about them. So I have like this, this skewed uh, belief system, perhaps just from reading about them, that there are so many of them out there. Maybe it's not as big of a percentage of the overall as I'm thinking that there is, but there seem to be a lot. And, and you've been through one. You know what it's like. What, why do you think people end up with them? Why, why, why do they end up in a place where they're dealing with a toxic relationship in the first place? I know there's going to be a lot of reasons, but I'm curious what your take is. I believe that it is, we're attracting that as a way to heal a part of ourselves. So there's something in that relationship that is going to cause us the, the conflict or the contrast that is going to grow us into the greatest version of ourselves, which is, I believe, our purpose here on earth. So does it require being a certain personality type in order to come to that conclusion? Or does it have, does it require a certain background or is it just that perfect storm like you were talking about? I think it's the perfect storm. You know, I believe that we all came here with these soul contracts that we're here to learn certain lessons so we can evolve as souls. And so that toxic relationship that you have is really a gift and, and, and there's a lesson in it if you're able to kind of have that higher perspective and look at it from that point of view. Now, I am a total optimist. I'm like totally a glass half full person. I feel like our lives are filled with assumptions, so why not assume the good? And so you can really take any toxic situation and find the gift in it if you're willing to look at it. That's very true. That's very true. So, Emery, I'm going to go to you first as you're listening to this. I'm I, I, we're, you're, you're of a different generation from her. I'm kind of a different generation from you. So we're, we've got a bunch of different generations going on here. <laughs> but I think we could all kind of recognize themes that go on. Yes. And, and when, you, when, you, when you hear, like, the word soul contract, because we've, we've talked about that before, but when you hear uh, Cricket talking about a soul contract, what, what does that bring to your mind? What do you think about? I don't know so much about soul contracts. Um I do thoroughly believe that we we come across people that we're supposed to come across. Um, I know in personal, from my personal life, if I have relationships and they've been deemed as toxic, I think toxic is a word that's batted around a lot more than when I was younger. I think there was as, as much similar relationships back then, but I think you kind of attract people and you do grow from these relationships. You do go through the heartbreak, you do go through the hurt and you absolutely come out stronger and I always came out okay well I know what I don't want now so I'll go looking for what I do want um so I've definitely grown and I have nothing but gratitude for my heartbreaks and because it's led me to a marriage of 24 years with my best friend so I'm totally happy but with self-contrast I don't really know much about them but I'm not I do with my children. I do believe that my children were meant to be my children. And then I also believe that the babies that I've lost, I was meant to lose. I was there for a reason to whatever that contract may be. But I think there's many people for us. I don't believe there's just one soulmate. I I think you can meet other people who you can grow with. I think there's many. 
but it's who you come across and who you attract and where you are in your vibration. So, I, yeah, I'm intrigued to sort of hear more about the soul contracts. Yeah, I, I'm actually going to be curious to see what Louis has to say, because Louis, first of all, Cricket, Louis is like our Abraham Hicks expert. You know, So if you want to know anything about the Abraham approach to this thing, ask Louis. Uh, but he also has very unique uh, takes on this. So, Louis, when you hear about soul contracts, what do you think about First thing that came to mind was Carolyn Mace. She wrote a whole book on it. Mm. <laughs> um, so, soul contracts. So, people come into your life when you understand the law of attraction. You obviously attracted that person to them if they were nice, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, so, you start realizing that the contracts that you have is not really a contract. It is the active vibration of what you're thinking manifesting in your life. Therefore, I see the nodding from cricket. Therefore, what's happening is you're understanding that if you want around you to be a nice person to yourself, you have to have a great relationship with moi. And when you've got a good relationship with yourself, then you start manifesting all these incredible people. And, you know, the idea that there is one soulmate out there for you to me is ridiculous. So when you get divorced and you find the next amazing person, you have quite a few um, of these soul, um, uh, these, these, uh, what do you call them? Um, your one and only person in the life for you. So, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's, it, it's really an interesting idea that you have a soul contract, but the way I'm now looking at it is that you really have um, active vibrations and you're attracting them to you. And it's really very simple when you break it down to vibration. Yeah, I saw it quick and naughty too. What, what, what would you, uh, how would you respond to what Louis was talking about there? I just love all of that. I think that, you know, it's an infinite universe with infinite possibilities. But I do love the idea that this is an earth school and that we are here to learn certain lessons. And that's kind of what we what we signed up for before before coming here. So whether that was a lesson that I learned um, that I get to choose, um, whether that was something I learned from my first husband or something I would have learned from somewhere else, I, I believe it's all possible. And that, yes, like I was in a place as a teen that was really not very loving towards myself. And so I ended up attracting someone who didn't really respect me in the ways, the same ways that I didn't respect myself. So, so I, I completely agree. You're touching on a couple of my favorite themes, but one of my favorite, one of my two favorite themes, which is the importance of self-esteem, self-love, self-confidence, however you want to label it. And I've come to believe very strongly, much more strongly than when I was younger, just how important that is. That I, I actually believe that it, it drives how well we're able to buy into the idea that we control our own lives, that our choices, that our thoughts, that our beliefs actually empower us to uh, control our own lives. And, and I honestly believe that the people who, um, I, I, don't, I don't want to sound judgmental here, but I need a way to, to describe what I'm talking about. People who tend to fall into victim roles they're almost uniformly people who really don't have a great sense of self. So when I hear you, you say what you say, that's what I think of over and over again. People who just, they, they could feel, they, it's not like they don't love themselves. It's just they don't, they, they don't really give themselves a lot, enough credit. They don't really look out for their own interests very well. They're, and, and they're in 
various kinds of relationships, some of them toxic, uh, some of them not so toxic, but in various relationships with others and with themselves that are just confused because they really don't have any clear sense of who they are and what they want and where they're going in life. So that's what I'm thinking about when, when I hear what you're saying there. I totally agree. That was victimhood was, was the term I was picturing as well. When you don't have a good um, self view of yourself, it's a lot easier to blame others and to act like you are at the mercy of, of others when really we are in control the whole time. Yeah, we are in control the whole time. And I think that's probably, probably what this whole journey is all about that we're talking about here, learning that we're in control, learning where, where the steering wheel is. That's the way I used to think about it. I remember asking myself, okay, I'm supposed to have all this control. Where's the steering wheel? Where's the dash? Because I don't seem to know where it is. <laughs> Not you know realizing, what? My of course, that it was inside. What's that, Amory? No, I was just going to say, like, my husband came along because um, I used to, like, you know, meet people go, is this the one? No. Is this the one? No. And then it wasn't until I was like, do you know what? Actually, I'd be, I'd be quite happy to stay single. I quite like being single. And then Bammy came along and I'm like, oh, no, no, I was getting used to it. But I got out my own way. I was stopping that, whatever that block was. I'd obviously released it and was just like, yeah, I'm actually quite happy now. Yeah, me too. Actually, I, I, that very much summarizes what my situation was. In fact, I was even more extreme about it because I had about 20 straight years of absolutely miserable experiences with relationships. And then I finally quit, threw in the towel, announced to the universe that I had thrown in the towel and met my wife a month later. So, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and I it was remember, interesting. I I had a... Oh, go ahead. No, continue. Well, uh, I was just going to say, I, I'll never forget how it happened, too, because I got a phone call from a good friend of mine who um, was also a friend of Louise's, and uh, she was basically trying to connect the two of us together. And when I found out what she was doing, I said, absolutely not. I'm not interested at all. I just threw in the towel. I'm done with relationships. Go away. <laughs> Fortunately, she was a bit of a therapist, so she, or she's a therapist, so she knew how to get me through that. But nevertheless, I was like, I had totally thrown in the towel. <laughs> so what were you saying, Louie? <laughs> I was in a seven-year relationship and um, I broke it off. And I said, you know, I really don't want any more relationships either. So you know, that was it. It's just lovely. Let me be on myself for a while. And then, of course, um, you know, I went on a five-day energy course. And by the end of it, my, my wife-to-be moved in. And two days later, we knew we were going to get married and have kids. And 15 years later, we got two kids and still together and happily married. <laughs> it's like, um, but again, it was very much that point where you kind of give up. It's, you know, I don't need anybody. I'm happy by myself. Let's, let's, let's uh, go on and live life. And uh, then, of course, you've got no resistance. And, of course, that is step three with Abram X, letting go, getting relief and release. And then, um, you know, when you're happy with yourself, um, you can draw somebody to you who's, who's, who's um, a match to where you are now or that, that stage where that happens. Yeah. And it could be nobody for a, a long time, and it could be nobody for quite a while too. Sure. Yeah, they can work out either way. Again, it comes down to how much resistance do you have built up. And it could be a lot. Mm. It could be a ton. And, and, and you could have no resistance to being by yourself. Yep. Yeah, and that's the way you need to be and want to be. And, you know, that can really be the When I look back, I didn't really want to be by myself, to be honest. That wasn't really what, it, what, what I wanted. It wasn't really it. Okay. Even though I said I'd give up and I want any more relationships and all the rest. <laughs> so that wasn't really the truth underneath it all. <laughs> that was just the letting go. But 
um, you know, then, then, you know, it all fits into place, um, the way it's going to be. Cause, you know, on, on that five day course, the first day I saw her walk in, I said, I want to get to know her straight away immediately. Just straight away. I went and sat opposite her at lunch and that was it, you know. <laughs> I knew straight away as well before I'd even spoken to him. I was just sat eyes on him and that that's my husband. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I just knew. I didn't say that um, on day one. On day seven. <laughs> I did. Say, no, I did say that to him. Goodness me. <laughs> as he runs off in his sports shoes. <laughs> right, right. I can't say that was my, my situation at all. When, when Louise and I first met, it was a disaster. <laughs> it just was a horrible first date. <laughs> But fortunately, we had very good friends who uh, convinced us not to give up so easily, and it all worked out after that. But that first day, it was just, oof, it's the stuff of legends. It was so bad. <laughs> I think it's because we just it doesn't of, have to unfold perfectly to, it to work out. No. I, well, I, th- I think we still, I, I think, speaking for myself, I think I still had some of that old taxes stuff I was still letting go of. I'd let go of most of it, enough to let her into my life, but I was still letting go of some of that stuff. and. I think that's part, and I think she probably was too. We'd both done a lot of growing by that point, but even so, you know, it's not like it's instantaneous, right? I mean, you have to, when you're going through growth, growth happens in stages. It doesn't happen quickly. You don't snap your fingers and say, okay, I'm growing. <laughs> it doesn't quite work that way. Something that uh, we're starting to do here more often on the show now, I started this about a, a little over a week ago, is going back to a pattern that we used to do a couple of years ago. We used to do what we called Q&A sessions which were often um, tied in with actual emails sent in by listeners. But more often than not, it was, uh, you know, we would go onto Facebook or someplace like that and find somebody who had posted about something they were asking for help for and then answer it as if they had asked us about it, um, keeping their name out of it, of course. But uh, it just kind of gave us an interesting way to um, explore some of these issues. And as I look back on it, I realized some of our best conversations here on the program happened from doing those Q&A sessions. So I've, I've been wanting to kind of rejuvenate them and bring them back. So I've been digging into, that's one of the reasons I mentioned before, I've, I've been going out and looking at Facebook groups. Not necessarily law of attraction groups, just kind of various groups on a variety of different topics. And I've been uh, kind of curating certain topics that I found along the way. And I, and I thought I'd bring a few of them here onto the show and have all you guys take a swing at uh, seeing what you would say if this person came to you. So let me go to the first one here. This is a uh, relationship issue. And uh, the person said, I need help. How do you remove any negative thoughts? I don't want to ruin the friendship I have with two important guy friends of mine. They are special to me. I haven't felt this way before. I feel like when they don't talk to me, they would be mad at me. But then one of them messaged me saying they were busy with their family, and I understand that, but I just don't know how to let go of someone having negative thoughts. I don't hold grudges or anything, but it's killing me inside. So a little bit vague. There's a few things that are probably being left out, but uh, Cricket, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, let's say you're, you're talking with a new client, and, and you get that as your first bit of input from them. How do you respond? Yes, so I love thought work and belief work. So the first thing I would do is ask exactly what the negative thoughts are. And we do a little bit of unpacking of the thoughts themselves. So it's important when you're trying to change something to not resist or push it away. So don't, you know, if you have a negative thought, like say the thought is, um, my friends don't like me. I'm not sure if that was in a, like a friendship context or a romantic context, but say it's, you know, he doesn't like me. So really to 
unpack that. You know, why do you believe that's true? Is it really true? Is it is it absolutely true? You know, what would how would you feel if um, you didn't have that thought? And really just, I love the work of Byron Katie. So like doing those four questions on it um, and just unpacking it to see, really kind of examining it with a fine tooth comb to see how true it really is. And then once you've kind of dis disarmed it a little bit by really getting curious about it, then you can start to ask, well, what might be more true? What could be the opposite of that that could be even more true? And I would just get really curious and start questioning the thoughts is my short answer. Okay. Well, you can go longer if you want. I mean, short answer is great. If you want to go with a longer answer, you can do that too. We're, we're free form here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's essentially it. It's just, it's, it's um, anything you want to change. You've got to look at, you know, the negative first. And, and, you know, for so many years studying the law of attraction, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to focus on the negative. I was, didn't want to attract more of that, but in order for it to kind of dissolve and integrate into who you are, you have to look at it first. So um, it sounds like this person may be just trying to push away the negative. So I just invite them to look at it, get curious, see how true it might be and what might be more true. And then once you can discover what might be more true, then you can kind of train your brain to think those thoughts more intentionally. And eventually your brain will become um, more optimistic and not default to the negative or pessimistic. Okay, that's good. I like that. And Marie, what's your take on this one? I like that. And my, my sort of go-to is, is not dissimilar. It's, it's I go to my journal. And I ask that question, all those questions and I explore it. Okay. So why is this triggering me? What's going on? What's that related to? And then just investigate it in my head. And then I go to Guru Louis advice about everything. Now, if something, somebody is upsetting me or triggering me, I instantly go, what do I appreciate about that person and find the good in it and then shift it over. So and then focus in on what I do like about them not what I don't like or what was happening that I didn't want it to happen and finding that appreciation so yeah I, I go through the self-exploration and then I go to the appreciation all right really good Louis how about you yeah it's really simple Walt all you've got to do is sell them on eBay there's lots of people buying <laughs> <laughs> I can always count on Louis. You know, the, the, the first thing I would have said to this person was, well, first of all, there's nothing that's negative and there's nothing that's positive, but why, what is the importance of negativity? What is the importance of negativity? Can we live a life without it? Can we? Oh, this, this is, uh, you actually this is, asking. This us. is a question. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> can, can we, can we live a life with, with, ne without negativity? Can we? Yeah. I, I'm not sure that there's a way to do it, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> no, there is. <laughs> you can't, you can't live without negativity because negativity is your expansion point. Hmm. It's incredibly important to understand the importance of negativity. It is there to help you expand. So replace the word negative with expansion point. Okay. When you know what you don't want, you have a better idea what you do want. And let's get that clarity. Because you, if you're trying to fight against negativity, what is the universal law of attraction going to do? 
bring you more of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the understanding that it's an expansion point, not negativity, and understanding that you use it to help expand yourself when you know what you don't want, you have a better idea what you do want, what Cricket was saying, contrast. So when you understand contrast is your teacher, you came here to play in contrast. This is a contrasting universe. Contrast is your teacher. So when you know what you don't want, you have a better idea what you do want. And that's my basic philosophy. You know, if you know, when you know what you don't want, you have a better idea what you do want. Now, what Cricket was pointing to there, which is also a very important and valid thing, you know, what feels better? You, you were pointing to what feels a bit better, what statement feels a bit better. So you're going up the emotional guidance scale when you're looking at that problem. You're not saying, okay, you're depressed and you, and, and all the rest of it, just be happy because the vibrational difference from those two are just too great. So, you know, if you're depressed, go to, to revenge. If you're in revenge, go to rage. If you're in rage, go to frustration. If you're frustration, go to I don't care. If you don't care, then you go to um, hope and uh, expectation, etc. So just start building yourself up the emotional guidance scale. Don't, don't jump from one to the other. So understand where you are on that, on that scale, which is also a very you know, important way. But the most important thing is to understand that there is no such thing as negativity. They're expansion points, and they're incredibly important. And this is why you came here, you know, understanding that to fight against what you don't want is only going to bring more of it. I love all these answers. They're excellent. And, uh, they, I mean, you basically all are kind of honing in on the same idea, that the, the, the negative or the, the thought that you don't like is, is leading you to the thought that you do like. One of the reasons I brought this question in for the group to discuss is that, um, well, first of all, this is one of the more clear exp uh, expositions of the issue. The, the person who wrote this particular post had enough clarity in, in her mind, I, th I guess, to, um, to really understand that she needed to do something else, but she wasn't quite sure what. The thing that I'm noticing a lot over and over again is there are people who, who will write these posts on relationship issues or career issues or health issues or whatever. And they're long, 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 long posts. And here's all the things that have been going on and all the little details and all the details. Well, a lot of the time they don't even tell you what it is that they're thinking or feeling about the details. But on those situations, in those situations where they do tell you, it's uniformly, this is what I don't like. And I don't like this. And I don't like that. And I don't like this. And I don't like that. There's a long list of things that they don't like. And at the end of every one of them, I always post the same thing. What do you want instead? Because they, they <laughs> seem lost on that one. And in fact, there have been times now I've been getting responses back where you can tell from the response that the thought of what do you want instead wasn't even part of the conversation. So I'm kind of curious to think, to, to ask you guys about from your experience, why do you think people are having so much trouble, uh, you know, even considering the idea of what they want instead? I don't know. I haven't met them. <laughs> well, that's insightful. <laughs> you know, I what I'm saying is I, I haven't bumped into a lot of those kind of people, if, if at all, you know, very rarely. It's not oh, part okay. of my reality, but I understand that, you know, um, if you, if you remember a Facebook or any of the social media, you might have come across quite a bit of it, but, just but I really, I, I, I just don't bump into many of them. <laughs> I think we touched on that earlier. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, I was just 
Yeah, I was just saying, kind of cricket touched on that. It's retraining your brain. Your brain is like constantly thinking, I haven't got this, I haven't got that, this isn't happening. And you're constantly thinking of the negative, and it's just switching and retraining your brain to think in a different format. I think we're conditioned really collectively to to not to focus on what is right and and that is what, why you know I have the word joyfully in my title is because I want it's a a prayer or an intention for me to focus on the joy and the reason I want to focus on it is because it takes practice it's a spiritual practice for me so I think you know humans is kind of we are conditioned to focus on what is, and we have to learn how to focus on what it is that we want, use our imaginations to see what's not there yet. But I think just it, the human experience, we're just not really, not yet wired that way automatically. It's something we have to either learn from an outside source or intuit somehow. But for me, it's definitely a practice. Yeah, practice is a good word because that's what we're doing. <laughs> we're practicing, really. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that cricket. You, you're talking about what is. So, what is is the active vibration of what what, what you th- what you thought in the past. Mm. Okay, so your 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 thoughts about everything. You know, if you want to know what you've been thinking in the past, you just look where you are now. Okay, so that is what is, and then you're pointing to the next next aspect is. You know, I want to be like this. So those are not active vibrations yet. So those are vibrations which you're now building up. And of course, the if you understand the law of attraction, you spend more than 14 seconds on anything. The universal law of attraction will massively amplify it. Um, 2,000 man hours of work for, for 14 seconds. Um, the universal law of attraction will bring to the table. But what is happening is people aren't able to focus on anything for any period of time, especially not 14 seconds. Okay. And one of the greatest tools that you can learn in this life is concentrated focus on one thing. It's an interesting point. Preferably on what you want, not what you don't want. <laughs> well, I was just going to point out there, there are people who are very good at focusing at, on, a, on a lot of stuff, but like you say, the stuff they don't want. I mean, the, look at I, I what's going on in culture in general, and man, I see examples of it all over the place. I think where people struggle is focusing on stuff that they like, focusing on stuff that they want that's important to them, or or maybe it's to put it another way, the stuff that is currently important to them is the stuff they don't like, which is kind of odd, but that seems to be the trend. That seems to be the pattern. That's why I find that particularly interesting. Let me let me bring in another. Uh, uh, post that I found, and let's see if we can uh, take this to the next step. Um, this is a, <clears throat> a different group. This is a woman posting about a situation with her daughter, and she says, hello, I want to seek some advice regarding my 14-year-old daughter. She has suffered with severe anxiety for years. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have been down all the usual routes, for example, doctors, well-being, counseling, etc. Her school is aware and gives her lots of support. She also has weekly sessions, which seem to make a positive impact, but I discovered she's been self-harming using razors. Can anyone give advice on what to do? I've tried talking to her, but she shuts me down. Do I remove all traces of potentially harmful objects, or is that going too far? When am I going overboard? 
think there are probably a lot of parents who can associate with this uh, uh, belief system who are not Louis and Anne-Marie because this is outside of what, what, what we talk about here is outside of what most people are familiar with. But uh, um, Cricket, I'm going to go to you again on this one. You, you've got this person talking to you. She's a mom. She's dealing with a situation. How do you respond to her? So the theme of anxiety is essentially a feeling that we have in our bodies. And any feeling we have in our bodies starts with a thought first. So I don't know, I would, I would, I don't know how to address the mother. I would address the daughter by asking her, what are the thoughts that are creating the anxiety in her body? And a way to do that is kind of what Anne-Marie was saying before is do some journaling around it. I call it a thought download. So, you know, if she's maybe feeling anxious in a certain situation, say it's a social situation, she can take that circumstance and journal all her thoughts around it. And then she can really identify what is the thought or pinpoint the thought or thoughts that are creating the anxiety in her body and then do do some more investigative work like I was talking about before to really see are those thoughts that she's believing that are causing her the feeling of anxiety, are they actually true? Or are they something that she's just created a habit of believing and give her the tools to start to investigate her own thinking that will help alleviate some of the, the anxiety she's feeling. Okay. Louie or Anne-Marie, do you have any extra thoughts on this one besides what Cricket said or maybe piling onto what she said? No, yeah, I, I mean, what? I should have asked one of you. That's my fault. I'm sorry. Let's, let's go to the one first. You're fired, Well, <laughs> But I wanted this job. <laughs> so I, I would simply say to the, to, to the mom, uh, give me your daughter. She must come stay with us for a while. <laughs> I love that. That's so what, what would that be doing if, if, the, if the child did do that? They would be getting out of an active vibration. And they'd be going in a very new active vibration. So you're taking them out of one set of thought processes and putting them into a very different one. And then, of course, I'll be hammering on about my stuff. (laughs) 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 In a subtle way in the background. Uh, But, you know, the important thing is, um, which Cricket pointed out to, you know, Abram, you'd go and sit in front of Abram and you'd say, oh, my child's got this. And so we'll bring your child up and we'll chat to them. We, uh, we don't, you only address the person you're talking to. You don't address somebody who's talking about somebody else. You just don't do that. You know, because you, you can address the mother's concern about trying to deal with the situation, but not the child. Okay. So <clears throat> you, you, you know, I'd really say, Say, say something like, um, you know, I, I will address you as a mom of what you can do in a situation because an apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So in other words, the active vibration in the house is what is going to control the whole environment. And if you're at peace and in harmony with yourself, it's going to radiate through the house. If you like it or not, if you want it or not, if you don't want it or not, um, who you are is going to actively vibrate around you. So. You know, if you can get that mom into a happier, simpler, more balanced state of mind um, and, and seeing that everybody has their own choices um, and, you know, people need to be allowed to express them in the way that they need to. And that's a harsh one. 
you know, and, you know, then what can you do for yourself? How can you get into a happier place? You know, what's the greatest gift you can give anybody? It's your own happiness. Are you happy? Are you sharing your happiness? Or are you just worried about what your daughter's doing to herself all the time? You know, where are you at? So, you know, just be clear about all that. And, uh, you know, I, as I say, the biggest solution I would say is try and get the, the daughter out of the active vibration she's in into a slightly different one. You know, they go to counseling, but in the counseling, the, the counselor's got an active vibration, which is different, which helps for a while. But then they go back into the active vibration of the house. So, and then you've got to teach them that they can have an active vibration that's outside their parents and their families. They can have the strength to do that. So it's a, it's a whole process of, of getting people to understand what they're activating in their lives. Because harming yourself, um, we all do it. Any negative thought you've ever thought, you're harming yourself, aren't you? Good point. So, you know, everybody's harming themselves. They're just making it a little more visible. And, of course, you're making it visible. They're shouting for help. That's what they're doing. They're saying, help me. Look, here's another cut. Look, help me. (laughs) Mm. I want help. And so, you know, uh, getting them to understand that that's actually what they're doing. They're asking for help very visually, very verbally, um, or non-verbally, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then, you know, just getting them to, to open up and, and understand that, uh, you know, once you start loving yourself, you know, there, there's people who have really looked after their hands their whole life. They've, they've cleaned them, they've washed them, they've put on cream, they've looked after them, and their hands look beautiful. I don't know if you've met You've got people who do it in their faces as well and all the rest of it. And, you know, when you give yourself conscious, dedicated attention to any part of your body, it heals. And if you do it the other way around, it will destroy it. You can cut it to pieces. So, you know, getting getting people to understand that they've got these choices of what they want to do. And this physical body is so incredible. It's the most amazing piece of machinery you've got, you know. And the, the respect I have for it is, is overwhelming. You know, even when I went in for a hernia operation, just before they, they put me out, uh, with the, that gas stuff, um, <clears throat> I was saying to myself, deeply inside myself, I'm so sorry I'm putting you through this. Some part of me was saying to the other, to my body, I'm so sorry I'm putting you through this. And this was just an operation which I thought I had to have. I didn't have to have it, but I didn't know that at the time. That's another story altogether. Um, but, you know, the, the respect you can you have for your body is so important. You know, I really respect it on so many levels. I look after it. I go through 14 processes of looking after my water before I drink it. You know, <laughs> there, there's just little <laughs> things that I'm doing all the time to to enhance and help and heal and balance my body um because not because it's an effort anymore not because i feel i have to i want to really actively passionately want to do this i do it for the whole family they can drink the water one ever stage they want to they can drink it out straight out of the tap they can drink it from the first level second level or all the way to the 14th level but i prepare all the water for the whole house every day um and people can do what they want so you know uh, yeah, it's it's a journey. Letting the body is so important um, that I would bring this up to that individual. I would say to them, you know, 
you've given this most incredible piece of machinery, which is help, which is a vibrational interpreting machine, which helps you experience the entire universe that you're living in, you know, it, it respect it, <laughs> um, you know, and I know what you're doing is just asking for help. You know, that's, that's what I would do. All right. Amory, what's your take? I'm, I'm on both sides. <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> agree with cricket in the fact that, yeah, finding, exploring those emotions and how to deal with it. I do think sometimes that self-harm is a cry for help, but it's also just a way of releasing an emotion you just don't know how to deal with. It's just a release. So finding better ways to deal with those emotions and to calm yourself down. So kind of exploring, building up. I do have a sort of a trigger with mum. I'd say, how much is this being fed? I know she's concerned because we only want the best for our children, but actually is there almost a label as my child's anxiety? And is that kind of feeding her anxiety and the fact that it's constantly being focused on? Um, and it's, it's, I would sort of, Encouraging them to ask the child, what does she need? Which is something I ask my children. I don't go in and fix their problems. Do you want me to speak to your teacher? Do you want me to leave you alone? Do you just need a hug? What do you need? So that they can explore their own emotions and their own solutions themselves. So there'd be work kind of a bit with both mum and Joseph. Mum to just how to deal with it, speak to the child, communicate, but don't focus on the anxiety, focus on solution. Yeah, I love all of your answers. I think you all really nailed it beautifully. Um, I, I think the only and, thing I uh, would add is, oh, go ahead, Louis. Uh, and Marie, I'm fascinated with the idea that somebody would be cutting themselves to experience what? A release. I've done it. I've been there myself. It's just literally that, that, that's haven't interesting known what to, to do. Mm. So what kind of release and relief? Explain to me how. Yeah, you say you've done it yourself, so I'm really curious. Yeah, it's just been where just so overpowered with an emotion that didn't know what to do with, that it was just, like you say, something visible, that almost that cry for help, but also something visible to shock me out of that situation. And just show me that I'm feeling. Are I can... you happy to share what that feeling was? It was just anger, frustration. Okay. Just overwhelming. So I can relieve anger and frustration by cutting myself. I'm going to try that. No, don't. There's better ways of doing it. <laughs> no, I'm just really curious. I've, I've never really dreamt about that. So it was quite enlightening to me. Well, it depends really is, what your emotional level is. I mean, if your emotional level is low enough, that's going to actually feel better. But there is studies that if you give somebody who's self-harming a red pen, just drawing the red line alone can have some similar impact. Not in every case. It's just something I've heard. But it can actually sort of, you know, because it's just something visible and just something oh. But yeah, that was just my experience. Is it was literally just overwhelming. I didn't know what to do, and I just had to burst, and that burst. It's not something that happened you, often at all. 
You, you know what I think would would really help is a lot more physical activity. I don't completely agree. There's so many better ways of dealing with it. Fully agree, but it's exploring. I don't how think to man do that. does anywhere near enough physical activity as a whole anymore, and I think that really is damaging on so many levels. Well, I think it's also living in societies that for many generations resisted the idea of releasing strong, overwhelming emotional feeling. I have no problem with that. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely, precisely. (laughs) I I would call it very vividly growing up. I mean, if you felt something overwhelmingly emotional, Mm -hmm. there, there was no, there was no outlet. If you could find one on your own, good luck. That was about it. There were, there were just times it was just not acceptable. Fortunately, that has shifted a lot in the, the years I've been on the planet. But nevertheless, I'm sure it still exists in, in many places. And, and it, it can actually get to the point where an emotional buildup is so great that it's, it's just an explosion that has to come out. And, I mean, at that point, labeling it as rage or fear or anger or disappointment or whatever, it's almost irrelevant at that point. Mm. Because if there's just so much, it just kind of has to pour out. It just has to kind of just get out any, break the dam, you know, just burst out and, and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. That's pretty much what the feeling is. I got to get it out. So, obviously, I don't think any of us really advocate uh, self-harm as a way to get there. But nevertheless, that's what's driving it. I, I think in a lot of cases, there's just so much to get out. Yeah, and I I've liked what Anne-Marie said. Yeah, just that it, it is some kind of, uh, the self-harm, it is some kind of relief that it offers them. So creating other options, other solutions for that relief, which could be some kind of physical activity or something that, okay, what is the feeling that you get? What is the benefit that you get when you self-harm yourself? And how can we recreate those, that in other ways? So looking for alternative so ways to express without actually doing the, the great harm to yourself. Exactly. And that's, and that's why I think emotional intelligence is so important in early school years so that we can navigate people through these emotions like my six-year-old today, picture from school, and she was like, Mommy, I'm really tired and I lost my temper today and I really shouted at my friends. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with being angry. Well, how did it go and what did you do? And she was like, well, I said sorry. I'm like, well, do you feel that was the right thing to do? She goes, yes, but I was really angry. I'm like, well, it's okay to be angry. It's an emotion, but you did it and then you, you did what you thought was right and you said sorry. So just like teaching them how how whatever it is is it go for a walk is it yeah if you're going to eat bad foods that's that you know if you're going to eat lots of sugar and lots of chemicals your body's going to react to that and just teaching them how to navigate and that it's not a bad thing if you lose your temper it's not a good thing always is but you know it's how you deal with it and you can always come out of it and marie i'd say to you know i completely agree with you i'd be angry as well if i had to go to school after a holiday well i think it goes back to what we were saying earlier what i was saying earlier about really sitting with with emotions and not resisting them right Mm -hmm. so i think that um, maybe someone gets so pent up to where they have an outburst or you know they self-harm themselves because they're not actually willing to look at and sit with the emotions that that are causing them to be uncomfortable 
And I think the more that we as a society um, really create space for people to look at emotions, not as negative, but have a different perspective of them as something that we can use as a tool, an expansion point. I love that. Um, then it will create more space for healing and, and really people will, will help integrate what they're experiencing as opposed to have it, having to have some kind of um, self-harmful release. Cricket, one, one thing I found really has helped me a lot is to understand that thought, what you think affects how you feel and how you feel affects how you think and they're not separate. Hmm. Absolutely. It's true. We often in our society and I think in the psychological circles or almost anybody I speak to seems to want to say, oh, you're an emotional person or you're, you're a thought person, you know, a mind person. And you're not. What you think affects how you feel and how you feel affects how you think. It's a cyclic thing. And trying to separate them, I don't think, is, is of particular value. Change your feeling is not as easy as to change your thoughts, I think. I think it's easier to change your thoughts than it is to change your feelings. And when you change your thoughts, your feelings will change. So, so the control aspect comes in the, in the mind, not in trying to control your emotions. I completely agree. And that is the basis of the um, inspirational music that I write. Because it's it's um, in acting with intention to create thoughts or to to focus on thoughts through song that empower you for creating what it is that you want to manifest in your life. I spent many mm -hmm. years writing sad love songs, and mm -hmm. I came to a point where I realized, wait a second, if I get what I think about, I don't, why am I singing about that failed relationship? You know, for years and years, I want to create. Music that, you know, I spend so much time with my songs, I should create music that uplifts me and is creating that vision that I have, not, you know, vibrating in the past. Mm -hmm. I mean, Cricket, when I look at you, I see a very, very clean, strong energy. Uh, and I don't say this to many people, as you guys know. Um, you know, so you've obviously done the work. You are living living the talk. You, you're walking the talk. And I love that about you. Um I saw on Instagram that you, you play a guitar on stage. Yeah. And, you know, you really look great um, in all of them. And it's really good to see that clarity of the energy. Um, and uh, well done. Kudos to you. Thank you. I take that as quite a compliment. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I wanted to throw one more uh, piece of uh, thought out there, which is, Louis, you made reference to how it, it's, it can be really difficult to uh, – shift how we feel about something and <clears throat> I, th I think that's true I think it's probably one of the, the most challenging skills to learn but I also want to point out we can learn it we it, I mean no matter what the situation is we do have the option of deciding how are we going to respond to it emotionally it's not like a situation x always has to produce emotion y you, you can talk to five different people and get five different emotional responses out of them just simply because of where their perspective is so I agree that it's, it's, it's a real challenge to do, but I think it's actually one of the smartest things we can learn to do, and that is to learn to select what response do we want to have, emotionally speaking. How do we want to feel about that situation, especially if it's one, especially if it's a situation that has recurred over and over again, and we've constantly had responses to it that we didn't like. To me, that's like the best time. That's the best situation in which to learn, here's how I'm going to respond differently. Here's how I'm going to feel differently about it. 
this next time around. And yeah, it does require thought. You have to thought, think about it differently. But I think it's also something we can, we can actually learn to do as we're experiencing it. And the more that we learn to do it, I think the more, the, the, the more powerful we are as human beings. So just wanted to throw that out there. But this has been great, Cricket. We really enjoyed having you as part of the show. Now, you have a, a coaching program that you do. Why don't you give people a little bit of background about that? Absolutely. So as I mentioned before, I'm a spiritual life coach. So I use uh, spiritual coaching processes, creative exercises, mindset tools, as well as custom musical mantras with my clients to help them identify what they don't want, what they do want, what's in the way. And with the musical mantras, I take exactly what it is my clients are wanting to manifest in their life, um, identify the thinking that they have that is getting them the results that they currently have, and then identifying intentional thoughts that will create the results that they're actually wanting. And then I create custom songs for them that they can use in their daily practice to help anchor new belief systems to help them get everything they've ever wanted. And how can they find you? Because this sounds pretty cool. I mean, I can imagine people saying, yeah, I want I want that. How do I get that? Yeah, so everything's on my website, joyfulpurposecoaching.com. And you can book a free clarity call with me there, and we can identify what it is that you really want and what's holding you back, and if it makes sense to work together one-on-one. All right, very good. Well, this has been great. Uh, thank you very much for your contributions to our little uh, Q&A session here. Um, I think uh, it's pretty clear to all of us, you're writing right on, uh, on the same wavelength as we all are when it comes to you know, how you can take control of your own life. So thank you for what you do and, and thank you for continuing to do what you do because you're playing a very important role in our global society. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed chatting with you all. This was great. And Louie and Anne-Marie, it's great to have you back. All sunned and tanned and feeling good <laughs> and uh, b- back in the swing of things again. So yeah, oh, and smiling faces. Yeah, it's been it's been wonderful to have you guys back. Looking forward to uh, doing it again next week, like we normally do. Um, oh, there was something I was supposed to mention. What was my? Well, there goes the promo. It went right out of my head. There was a promo. There actually is a promo that I was supposed to do, and I have no idea what it was. I should have written it down. But you know, the app the is back. The app is almost back. Actually, I thought I had okay. it. Cool. I was working out over the weekend. I thought I had it, and then. Uh, you, you know how an app has the little icon that you click on on your phone? The icon wasn't showing up right. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why. So I'm, I've been reaching out to help circles to try to figure that one out. But, yeah, we're really close to getting the app fixed after saying that for months. Yeah, the app is actually going to be fixed pretty soon. So thank you to those of you who have been very, very patient throughout this time period. <laughs> A lot more patient than I have. I, I can tell you that I've been very impatient with it. <laughs> But that's okay. So anyway, thank you very much to uh, all of you. Thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. And we will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. 